Welcome to the podcast of New Covenant Church in Albuquerque, where we focus on the Bible, faith, and life issues. We hope this podcast will be helpful to you on your faith journey. Now, here's our message. Well, I've already done a lot of uh, introductions of this guy, um, but uh, I'm excited to be able to be the first uh, to introduce our new senior pastor, Dave, Dave Deshaun. Well, good morning, New Covenant. So glad to finally be here. 22 hours of driving, 1,300 miles from Washington to Oregon to Idaho to Utah to Colorado to New Mexico. And we made it. So... Praise the Lord. Um, it's going to be a ton of fun. I fly home Wednesday, get an eight-day reprieve, and then drive 1,300 more miles to Grand Canyon University to drop off my oldest daughter, McKenna, and then we'll fly back and then get one more eight-day reprieve and then drive back down here with a U-Haul towing a car and a demon Chewini in the car with us. So you're going to have to pray for us a lot because that is going to be one mighty trip. So can't wait. In the midst of all that, it's crazy the terrain that you hit from everything from mountainous to flat and boring to 110 degrees to suddenly it drops to 60 and there's lightning storms everywhere. And by the time I finally arrived, I thought, man, that is a lot like life. All of the things that you go through while driving here are a lot like life. And there's one thing really that kept me going, and it was the destination. Knowing that I'm finally going to be here, we'll be in Albuquerque, getting to worship with people that love Jesus. And again, I think of how much of life is like that. There are some dry spells, some deserts. There is some rugged terrain. There is some gnarly weather that you go through that can get a bit scary. And all the while, keep your eyes on the prize. God is good. Jesus is good. As you know, our world is a mess. And as we take a look at the rugged terrain that we go through in the world and what a mess it is, what a blessing it is to know that Jesus is on the throne, totally in control. And I am super excited about where we're going to go in the fall. I'm actually going to kick us off with where I'd love for us to go. We're in Ephesians chapter 1. If you want to grab your Bibles and go there. And while you're turning to Ephesians chapter 1, most of you probably know we're born and raised San Diegans, so please don't hold that against us. Love us anyways. Um, but born and raised San Diego, so almost 40 years. Both my girls were born there. My wife was born there. I was born there. And then the Lord moved us uh, away from everything we knew. And ever since we moved away, uh, my daughters have had a real affinity for checking the mail because they're getting letters from grandma and grandpa, from friends, from aunts and uncles. They just can't wait to crack open that letter and read what it has to say and just pour over it and begin to ask themselves, I wonder what grandma meant here. I wonder what my friend meant here. Um, I hope and I pray that that's the way we approach the word of God this morning. We can't wait to crack open the greatest love letter that we've ever been given. Uh, we get the revelation of who God is. Um, I love how on every page of scripture, from Genesis 1 to Revelation chapter 22, it's all about Jesus, the one who made us, the one who died for us, the one who rose again, the one that we sang about this morning. Uh, so I'm hoping and I'm praying that you are as excited about opening up God's word as you are about the isotopes or the lobos or whoever y'all 
follow out here in New Mexico. Some of you are like, what are the isotopes and lobos? Sports teams, so just nod and smile if you have no idea what I'm talking about. That's great. Uh, we're actually going to dive into a series uh, starting in the fall called Identity in Action. We're going to dive into the book of Ephesians, and I'd love to just kind of pave the way, and then we're going to have a four-week break. So y'all aren't going to remember anything I said four weeks from now, but just pretend like you do when I come back. Um, but I'm excited to start this series, Identity in Action. We're going to take a look at who are, who are we in Christ. It can happen to a church where you don't have a senior pastor for a while, um, I know you all have had some great people up here filling the pulpit uh, and preaching God's word, and that is exciting. Um, but there can become a time where you begin to wonder, who are we? What are we all about? What are we going to do as a church? Well, before we even begin to unpack what we're going to do as a church, I would love for us to be solidly grounded in who we are. Who are we? There is an identity crisis in our nation. I don't know if you all have noticed that or not. There is an identity crisis. People do not know who they are. The good news is we're going to go to the creator of the universe who has the patent on his creation, who has told us exactly who we are in his word. So we don't have to question anymore. I'm curious if I asked you, you don't have to answer this out loud, but between you and the Lord, if I was to ask you, who are you, what response would you give? Many people would give their first name, or they'd say, I'm a dad, or I'm a mom, or I'm a husband, or I'm a wife, or I'm a teacher, or all of those things may be true, but for the follower of Jesus, what's the right answer? I'm a child of God. I am, a, I am an adopted, blessed, blood-bought, chosen child of God. I just ruined the sermon, because that's what we're going to unpack this morning. But if you would, if you take your Bibles, go with me to Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to be in just the first 14 verses this morning. Uh, what I'd like to do is just read it all the way through so you get the context. And again, while we're going to Ephesians 1, if you're not already there, if I could set the stage for you, Paul wrote four letters from house arrest. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. So he's writing this one while he's under house arrest. He's writing to a church that is a church of about 3,500 from what we know historically. Young Timothy, who is probably about 30 years old, is about to take over and pastor this church. That's what the letters of 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy uh, are all about. And Paul is writing a letter to this new church, this new body of believers who are smack dab in the middle of this city called Ephesus, where in the middle of that city is one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. It's this huge statue erected to this goddess by the name of Diana, or in Greek, Artemis. Um, they called her a f fertility goddess. That was really just a, a kind way of saying she was a sex goddess. At any given point, there were always a thousand temple prostitutes working the area. And so as you can imagine, being a believer in Ephesus had to be hard. They had to wonder who they were, how are they supposed to live a life that honors and glorifies the Lord Jesus, and so... Uh, Paul writes to the church in Ephesus to answer just that question. Now, our country doesn't struggle at all with sexual immorality or violence or identity crises, does it? No. Not at all. So, does Ephesians still have anything to say to us today in 2022 New Mexico, even though it was written around 65 A.D.? to the church in Ephesus. Does it still have any relevance today? The answer is absolutely. I, I've got the great privilege as your pastor of getting to expound on the Word of God. I don't have to make it relevant. It is. Mankind and our need for Jesus hasn't changed. 
Jesus hasn't changed. Hebrews tells us that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So the word of God that we're reading doesn't need to be changed. I say that because there are churches and denominations all over the place that are changing the word of God to fit the culture. If you've ever been involved in that, get out. And I would say to fellow pastors and churches, stop it. We don't need to change the word of God. It is just as relevant today as it was then. Technology, sure, it's changed. Clothing, yes, it's changed. But our desperate need for Jesus, our total depravity and our sin, our need for a Savior to rescue us from that sin has not changed. Our need to live a life that honors and glorifies him, our need to have a mom and a dad in homes where they're raising up kids that know Jesus and know the word, none of that has changed. So we don't need to change the word of God. The promises that Jesus made that he is going to come back and he's going to come again for us, that hasn't changed. Some have looked at us and said, well, you know, it's been a long time. It's been like 2,000 years. He still hasn't come, so maybe he isn't going to keep his promise. No, he's just patient. Do you know how many people I know that don't yet know Jesus and I'm glad that he hasn't come back yet? Although the other half of me is saying, Jesus, please come back, like soon. I'm raising daughters. I really don't want to walk them down an aisle because I will just bawl my eyes out, so just come back now. So if I could take us to Ephesians chapter 1 and begin to answer the question, who are you? I want to begin to answer the question of who am I? Or as you can see on the sermon title, who do you think you are? Depending on how you phrase that. It has multiple different meanings, but the question is, who do you think you are? And if we ask the question, who are you? I'm hoping that you'll have a much clearer answer by the time we're done with Ephesians 1 today. Okay, that was only your introduction. Joey Belleville told me I have three hours, so (laughs) if I go over, it's his fault. Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus, and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. There is a lot there that we are going to try to break down this morning. I want you to note that as we read Ephesians, and even as we go through the first three chapters, there's almost no what we would call imperatives, almost no commands. Um, They are all simply what we would uh, call, not, not an imperative, but an indicative. This is what you are, this is who you are. 
So this is the way Paul wrote a lot. If you read Colossians, Colossians is four chapters. The first two are basically uh, having no imperatives, no commands whatsoever. They're indicatives. Again, this is who you are. So as we read through the book of Ephesians, the first three chapters are going to tell you who you are in Christ before you really ever get a command as to how you should live or how you should act. And there's a reason for that. You don't know how to live and you don't know how to act if you don't know who you are because you end up living out your identity. I will help all of that make more sense in just a minute. Let me take us back to the first two verses of Ephesians chapter 1 as we begin to take a look at who we are. Listen to how Paul writes this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's begin to unpack this. Who are you in Christ? What is the first thing that God's word tells us? What's the first thing that Jesus tells us through the hand of the apostle Paul? He says, you're a saint in Christ Jesus. And you've been granted unmerited favor. That's what the word grace means, being given an undeserved gift or unmerited favor. It's from God, and you have a restored relationship, or you are at peace now with God. Did you catch that? You're a saint. You are a saint in Christ Jesus. Now, some of you all may come from a background. Maybe you come from, say, a Roman Catholic background where you're taught that you've got to go through certain steps. In fact, if you step into most Roman Catholic churches, they have what they call the Ten Commandments of Sainthood or Becoming a Saint. And there are about ten steps that you have to go through. The Apostle Paul blows that idea up when he uses that Greek word hagias, which literally means a set-apart one. And he says that you are a hagias, you are a saint, you are a set-apart one the moment that you trust the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's why. You being a saint, you being holy or set-apart, has absolutely nothing to do with your background, with what you have done, with any steps that you have ever taken. In fact, as we continue to unpack Ephesians chapter 1, what you will begin to discover is that you and I, we don't chase after God. We don't run after him. We run the opposite direction. And yet, in love, he pursues us anyways. That is the difference between religion and following Jesus. Religion says that here are the steps that you have to take if you ever want to earn your way to heaven, or here is the ladder that you have to climb if you ever want to earn your way to heaven. Then Jesus comes on the scene and he blows up the whole idea of religion. And he says, did you know that you could never earn your way to heaven? That there are never enough good things that you could ever do to atone for your own sin? So I tell you what, instead of you trying to work your way to God, instead of you trying to work your way to heaven, I'm going to come to you as God in flesh. And then I'm going to chase after you, and I'm going to bring you into my family. That's good news this morning. That's better, that's better news than anything else that you're going to hear. And the reason for that is that is our only hope of salvation, that Jesus pursued us, that he left his throne in heaven, he took upon flesh, he died for us, and then what makes him different from any other martyr is that we know right where his tomb is at, and it's empty. And it's been empty since the third day after he died. Every other religious leader who has said, here are the things that you have to do if you want to go to heaven, we know where their grave is at, and it's filled up with rotting, decaying bones. Jesus's is empty. Well, if we go on in verses 3 through 9, Paul uses the word blessed. What does the word blessed mean? I've heard a lot of different definitions of that, but that Greek word blessed literally means to have added unto. There is nothing, again, that we can accumulate for ourselves. We are blessed simply because God is a blessing giver. 
He loves to bless his kids. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Did you hear that? Anything and everything that you've ever needed to be quote-unquote spiritually successful was given to you at the moment that you trusted Jesus. Now we just need to live that out. Live out that truth. Live out that identity. He says, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. There's some big words there that I want to stop for just a moment and unpack. What does the word redemption mean? It says we have redemption through his blood. Okay, Bible scholars, help us out. Redemption means? It literally means to be bought back. Be bought back from what? We sold ourselves out to the slave market of sin. We sold ourselves out to the slave market of the enemy, Satan. In fact, Jesus at one point told those that were listening, do you know who your father is? It's the devil. It's the father of lies. Then Jesus came to buy us back from that slave market. Aren't you glad that somebody came and paid the price? I am so glad that somebody came and paid the penalty, paid the price that I could never pay. I could try to work off the debt that I accrued in becoming a slave, but I could never work it off. So Jesus came and he provided the redemption for us through his blood. And then there's that word forgiveness. The word forgiveness literally means to cancel a debt. I accrued such a debt that I could never pay back that Jesus comes on the scene. He says, I canceled it. I paid for it and I canceled all of it. And it goes on to say that he did that according to how awesome you are, how awesome I am. All right, if you get to know me, you'll know there's nothing awesome here. So why did he do it? You can cheat and look at your Bible. It's the last half of verse 7. According to the riches of his grace. What is grace? Unmerited favor. We don't deserve it. Which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. So here's the second thing that we learn about who we are. Not only are we saints, but we're blessed, we're chosen, we're adopted, and we're blood-bought children of God. And the reason that we are all of those things is for the praise of his glorious grace. It's for his glory. I don't know about you, but have you ever worked on a project where the person in charge didn't have a clue of what they were doing? And it is just annoying. You're just like, okay, nobody knows what they're doing and nobody knows where they're going. How awesome is it to know that we have a king that knows exactly what he's doing? He knows exactly how he wants to build his church. He knows exactly how he wants to use you to build his church. And you may be thinking, he's never going to use me. I don't have the right personality. I don't have the right background. I don't have the right voice. I don't have the right mindset. I don't have the right job. And here's the good news. Throw all that out the window. All that matters is, do you have the right Savior? That's it. That's all that matters. Do you have the right Savior? Do you have the right King? Have you bowed down 
to the right king. Because Scripture just told us that if we bow down to the right king, that he has given us everything that we have ever needed in order to be spiritually successful. Does that mean life is going to be grand for you all the time? Absolutely not. You might go broke. In fact, most of Jesus' followers went broke. It might cost you everything. I'm not going to get into all the details of the story, but as a pastor that was with a denomination that had gone way off from where God's Word wanted us to be, and as a pastor having to lead our denomination through, or lead our church through that and away from that denomination, we knew that if we pulled out from underneath the denomination that we were in, we lost everything. That's the way it worked being in that denomination that we were under. And I mean everything. We all lost our jobs. So 11 of us that were full-time on staff lost our jobs. The building is gone. All 29 acres of property are gone. Um, over $400,000 in unrestricted funds gone. All of it gets taken away. And as I sat and I looked at our leadership team and I talked with them and I prayed with them, what a blessing that group of people were. They said, Jesus is worth it. Let's just follow Jesus. And so they did. And in order to get there in following Jesus, we had a group of people that had to be willing to lose everything. I tell you what, one day when we stand before the Lord Jesus in heaven, there will be no regrets about losing a building, losing property, or losing money. Here's why I bring that up. The day may be coming. In fact, I am not playing conspiracy theory or doomsday, but the day is probably coming where many of us will lose jobs. Many of us will lose money. There may come a time where the government comes in and says, I will take away your 501c3 status if you speak about certain things from the Bible. In particular, I preached at one point through the book of Romans for about a year. If you read Romans 1, 2, and 3, and what God says about sin and how it has wrecked mankind, when God's word speaks out against certain forms of sexuality, we are now living in a day where if you continue to speak that kind of stuff, you could have your, your uh, tax-exempt status taken away, or it could get worse. I might not be your pastor for very long. I might be getting hauled off to jail. The question I have for you all, since we all love each other, is anybody willing to go with me <laughs> so that I don't have to go by myself? Because if you're willing to stand for Jesus and stand for the things of his word, you might very well be getting hauled off with me, my wife, and my girls. Anybody ready to go? Okay, good. Praise the Lord. We're going to go together. And you know what we'll do? We'll just do what Paul and Timothy and Silas did. We're going to sing praises to the Lord, and we're going to preach the word while we're in prison. Okay, we're not there yet, so don't freak out. It's okay. I don't think we're going to jail. Let me continue on. He goes on in verse 10 to say that this was a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. So the third thing that we note about who we are is that we were called. We are a called group of people. You gathered together this morning as a church. The word church in the Greek is ekklesia, or it comes from the root words ekaleo. Uh, if you don't know what that means, it's good for us to know what it means because we call ourselves New Covenant Ecclesia, New Covenant Church. 
the words ek and kaleo are really two different Greek words, and the writers of, of Scripture and in Koine Greek, they used to love to take a couple of words and just mash them together. Ek is a Greek preposition, which literally means out of, to pull out of or to draw out of. Kaleo means I call. So literally, the words ekklesia means a group of people that were called out. So you and I have been called out, which kind of begs a question. Called out to do what? Well, that's really what our third point is about this morning. We are called out for the unique task of being a part of growing God's kingdom. Did you know that God raised up the church to spread his word? Let's start with Israel. When God first called this man Abram out of a pagan land, out of a pagan nation, out of the land of the Ur of the Chaldeans, he calls this man out not because of his background, not because of his love for God. In fact, quite the opposite. He was worshiping a false god with his forefathers. But God calls him out and he says, I'm going to raise you up and then you are going to have a people group that is going to come from your, your ancestors that are going to be called the Jews, the nation of Israel, and their task is going to be to make Yahweh known amongst the nations amongst all the pagan nations that are now worshiping false gods because we're all created as worshipers. The problem is many, many human beings worship the wrong thing. We're supposed to be worshiping the creator of the universe, and instead we, we develop other gods and worship other gods. And so God calls out this man and a people group to go spread who he is to the nations. How'd Israel do? Not so good. So God said, I'm going to set you aside for a period of time. I still have great promises for you, great promises that I'm going to fulfill, and I'm going to fulfill them because of who I am, not because of who you are. But for now, I have taken you off. I, I, have, I have set you on the side tracks for a while, so to speak, and I've put another train on the main tracks, and I call it the church, which consists of both Gentiles and Jews that have trusted in the Lord Jesus. And then God says, you're plan A. There is no plan B. So the church is plan A. The church is the group that I am going to use to make myself known, to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ amongst the nations. You're supposed to leave from this place and go share the gospel with atheists, go share the gospel with agnostics, go share the gospel with those that have been um, sucked into religion, whether it be in the Mormon faith or Jehovah's Witness faith or Baha'i faith or Buddhist faith, if they're worshiping a false god, I'm sending you out to go reach those folks so that they can be in heaven with me forever. This is not a popular topic to bring up, but if somebody is worshiping someone or something other than the Lord Jesus Christ, they have no hope of salvation. And that means that you and I have the unique and divine task of leaving this place and telling everybody that we know about the Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, you don't have to be a jerk when you do it, but tell the truth. We tend to lean to one side or the other. Remember Jesus said, go speak the truth in love? We either will come at someone so hard but not loving on them that they don't want anything to do with us, or we don't want to tell people about the gospel because we don't want to turn anybody off and we don't want to offend anybody and we don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. And here's the deal. Walk up to somebody 
Start a conversation with them. Let them know how good Jesus has been in your life. Let them know what a messed up, wicked sinner you are, but how blessed you are that you have a God who took on skin, died on a cross for you, and rose again. And just imagine if that's what I did or that's what you did to an unbeliever. Hey, after, after talking for a while, can, can, I just, can I tell you how blessed I've been by God? Most people won't say no. And then just begin to unpack. You know, God created me just like he created you. And even though he created me to be in a love relationship with him, I have totally sinned against him. I have been a complete pain in the butt. I have committed all kinds of sin, but I am so blessed because he took on flesh. He came as the person of Jesus Christ. He died on a cross and paid the penalty for all my sins, and then he rose again. You just gave him the gospel. And I have really not met a lot of people that got super offended by that. A couple but not a lot. And you just got to share the gospel with them. You just spoke the truth in love to somebody that, that needs to know all about the Lord Jesus. Now is not the time to be quiet about who Jesus is. Now is not the time to keep our mouths shut about the truth of the gospel. There really never has been a time. But now is definitely not the time to stay quiet about truth. There are so many people believing so many false things about who Jesus is or not believing that he existed even at all. There are so many people that have been, been taught and bought into the lie that you're nothing more than a cosmic accident, that you, you came from nothing more than an amoeba, a soup, and somehow a lightning bolt struck it and amino acids began to form. And then you begin to get these reptilian and then eventually mammalian forms of life. People are, are buying into that. And I want to tell you and I want to share with you and this is not at all meant to be arrogant. It's because of who God is. The truth is on your side. You don't have to shy away from sharing the truth. Okay, I'm going to get off the high horse. Let's move on. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, Paul goes on to say, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. The church in Ephesus was concerned. Things were a mess. Things were going haywire all around them. And they, they probably began to wonder and really began to question, well, Jesus died, he rose again, and now he went away, he's in heaven. Is he really still in control? And Paul wants to remind them, don't freak out. Jesus is still in control, and he has sealed you till the day of redemption. In fact, what Paul just told this group of believers is that you are the benefactor of heaven because of what Christ has done. And I love the way he words them being the benefactor of, of being in heaven. He says that Jesus, and in sending the Holy Spirit, sends them a guarantee of their inheritance. And when he speaks, he speaks in the present tense. He speaks as though they have already inherited what they're really not going to inherit until later. In other words, he speaks in the present tense, but it's not until the future that they're going to actually acquire all of this inheritance when they get to heaven. So why does he speak in the present tense? Because he wants them to understand that Jesus' promise is so golden, it's as if they already have it. So when you leave this place, please don't ever question whether or not you are actually going to inherit all the things that the scriptures speak of. You, you are going to. It's guaranteed. If Jesus makes a promise, it's guaranteed. 
And how does he guarantee it? With a seal, the seal of the Holy Spirit. For hundreds of years before Paul even wrote, kings were putting wax seals on things. And really that that wax seal signified at least four different things that we're going to take a look at real quick this morning. And it's the same significance of the seal of the Holy Spirit. What does the seal of the Holy Spirit signify for us? The first thing that it signifies is security. You are secure in Christ. Okay, I won't get into this right now because we, we probably have different stances on this theologically, but I want to encourage you. If you have trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, if he has adopted you into his family, you are his Sign, sealed, delivered. That can't be lost. Listen, again, I know that we get into this depending on what your background is from, and, and some of us are walking through the door believing that we could potentially lose our salvation and that it's dangerous to tell people that they can't lose their salvation because now you just give people a license to go live like hell and do whatever they want. And actually, that's not true at all. Paul answered that question in Romans chapter 6. Some began to ask, well, if our salvation is set and secure, Paul, like you just said in Romans 4 and 5, well, then should I just go ahead and sin all the more so that grace may abound? And what did Paul say? No, if you understand what Jesus did for you, you won't want to sin more. So again, I want to encourage you, and I think that this is vitally important for us to understand. Your salvation is not dependent upon anything that you have done. Your salvation is wholly and completely dependent upon what Jesus has done. That's why you cannot lose your salvation. Otherwise, Jesus didn't really mean it when he said, no one can snatch you out of my hand. Remember John chapter 10, he said, I and the Father are one. No one can snatch you out of my hand. That's a powerful statement. Romans chapter 8, there is nothing that can separate us. Do you know what the word nothing in Greek means? It's deep. Nothing. There's nothing that can, that can take you away from the love of Christ. Or there's nothing that can take you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That's good news this morning as well. We should rejoice in that and celebrate the fact that Jesus died for us. He has secured us. On top of that, his seal also signifies authenticity. It comes from him and nobody else. Did you know that you belong to the creator of the universe? And if you belong to the creator of the universe, what can man do to you? Well, let me ask this question. What is the worst thing that man can do to you? Kill you. Darn, I got to go to heaven and be away from all of this mess. Bummer. So there's a third thing, and the seal actually signifies ownership as well. And we just mentioned this one, but you are owned by the Lord. Now, I have had especially young people, and I, I love to use the gym as a mission field and go work out with young guys and start talking to them about the gospel. And a lot of times they'll look at me and say, yeah, well, I, I'm never going to get into that religious stuff because I'm not a slave to anyone or anything. I'm like, interesting. Do you go to school? Well, yeah. Do you have a job? Well, you're a slave to something, whether you recognize it or not. My favorite was one young man that I met. He's like, I'm, I'm sick of rules, and I'm sick of being a slave to my parents, so I'm getting out of here. I'm like, what are you going to do? I'm joining the Marines. <laughs> Great idea. I love the way 18-year-olds think. That was, that was awesome. Well, there's one more thing that the seal signifies, and that is authority. 
The seal signifies authority. So if a decree was made and the king's seal was put on it, it was as good as if the king himself was standing there. When you leave here, again, you leave here and you preach the gospel with great authority. By the way, preaching the gospel is not just for pastors. Another fun Greek word. I know you guys get all excited about geeking out on Greek, right? But the word keruso in the Greek literally means to proclaim victory. And I don't see anything in Scripture that says pastors go proclaim victory. It says saints go and proclaim. Go keruso. Go proclaim victory. Victory over what? Well, the fact that the God of the universe came down from heaven, died on a cross, defeated sin, rose again from the dead, defeated death, and is one day going to come again and is going to remove us from the presence of all sin and all evil. That's a great victory to proclaim, isn't it? So what do we do as a result? Let's wrap this up. What should you and I, as a result of all of this that we just talked about this morning, what should we do? Well, just as God is committed to the promise that he made to us, and that is he made a promise that he's going to adopt us, he's going to save us, he's going to grant us eternal salvation, we too should commit everything to him. Make him our everything. I believe it was C.J. Mahaney that mentions it. He's got a great little book, one of the most powerful books I've ever read. is called Living the Cross-Centered Life. If you have never read Living the Cross-Centered Life, by C.J. Mahaney. It is one of those books that could be life-changing for many of y'all. But he talks about what he calls, and it's kind of fancy words, but the functional centrality of the gospel. In other words, the gospel should be central to everything that we do. The way that I treat my wife should focus on the gospel. By the way, what is the gospel? It's the good news that God made you, God entered into his creation, God died for his creation, God rose again, and God is coming again. Sorry if I sound repetitive, but that is the five pieces of greatest news that you're ever going to hear. God made you, God died for you, God rose again for you, God's going to come again for you. It doesn't get any better than that. And if I do everything that I do with that in the, in the forefront of my mind, if I live to please Jesus and only please Jesus, I'm going to treat my wife well. If I live to please Jesus, the one who made me, died for me, and rose for me, and is coming again for me, if I live simply for that man, I'm going to disciple my girls well. I'm going to pastor this church well. Not, again, because of who I am. You don't want the words of Dave DeShop coming forth from the pulpit. You don't want that. You want the words of the Lord Jesus himself being expounded from the scriptures or whoever's up here speaking, whether it be Dave DeShop or Mark Fortney or David Adkins or Steve Stucker, it doesn't matter. You don't want any of our words. You want the words of the Lord Jesus. You're allowed to amen that because that's, that's, that's what we're looking for. That's what we want. So we want to keep our focus on this glorious inheritance that we've been given in Christ. It's been sealed by the Holy Spirit. He's going to enable us to live a life that brings him honor and glory. Let me ask you a question. You're probably going to feel like you have to answer yes to this, but don't. I want this to be between you and the Lord. Are you ready to live a life from this day forward that does nothing but bring honor and glory to the Lord Jesus? Before you answer that, you need to know that that is an extremely costly call and the last time I was here and I got to preach with you all, I did a sermon. 
that had to deal with a costly call. So I want to re-ask the question before I pray for us and close us out. Are you ready today to live a life that does nothing but bring honor and glory to the Lord Jesus Christ? If the answer to that is yes, we, we have to take inventory as to what that might cost us. But let me say this. You're going to be dead before you know it. And it will, by the way, that's meant to be encouraging. You're, you're going to be dead before you know it. And you will stand before the Lord and you will not regret one bit bringing him honor and glory. You will not regret one bit. Just wait. Can you imagine what it's going to be like when you stand before the Lord Jesus and he welcomes you home? I felt like I should bust out in like a I can only imagine song or something. I, 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 I promised Chris earlier that I would not sing or everybody would leave, so I won't. But let me just say this. Jesus has been good to us. Jesus has blessed us beyond anything that we have ever deserved. And we're going to continue to unpack that when we dive back into Ephesians about four weeks from now. I hope you're excited. I hope you're thrilled about where Jesus is taking us. Um, I hope you're excited about what he is going to do with New Covenant Church. I know that I am. Uh, I know that I can't wait to get down here and just see what the Lord is going to do in Albuquerque. I am anticipating that he is going to do some serious damage in a good way for his kingdom through this church. And I say that because the more I get to know your elders and the more I get to know your deacons and your leadership, the more I think that y'all are, we all, I can say we all now from this point forward, are in a good place together and then getting to meet many of you and know where your heart is at for Jesus and your love for Jesus and your willingness to stand for Jesus regardless of what it might cost you, that is a church that God is going to bless. I'm excited for what God is going to do. Let me pray for us and then I'll uh, have the team come back up. Lord Jesus, we come before you and, and Lord, we thank you for the fact that you adopted us into your family. Uh, Lord, when we were children of the devil, you pursued us, and then you adopted us, and you blessed us in ways that we don't deserve. You chose us when we didn't choose you. You paid the ultimate price with your blood to redeem us, and Lord, we are so thankful for that. Lord, we ask that as we move forward as a church body together, that Lord, you would continue to remind us of who we are in you. When we get discouraged, when it looks like the world is falling apart, when we feel like our own lives are falling apart, would you remind us that you are the one that is fully and completely in control? Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you so much for this morning that you have blessed us with. We give it all to you in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. This concludes today's message. We thank you so much for listening. We'd love for you to connect with us. You can do that at our website, nccabq.org. From there, you can submit any questions, feedback, and your prayer requests. nccabq.org is also where you can learn more about New Covenant Church. Subscribe to our podcast and newsletters, browse our online message archive, and even tune in and watch the stream of each weekly message. We hope you'll join us. So, until next time, May the Lord bless you and keep you. May God smile on you and gift you. May God look you full in the face and make you prosper. Have a great week.